you do deserve love. People have inherent worth and dignity. We deserve love. We deserve kindness and respect. And at the same time, if, if we have unexamined, unchallenged beliefs, then they're going to run the show. If we want our, what some therapists would call self-led energy, our adult energy to run things, then we will need to begin listening closely to these parts of ourselves usually formed in childhood that feel unworthy and unheard. We will need to listen to them, acknowledge what they are saying, and help them find something else to do with their time. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. It's National Unmarried and Single Americans Week, and at Love and Life, we're here for it. We're posting episodes to support and encourage singles throughout the entire week. And to kick things off, we're bringing back Love and Life fan favorite, Dr. Duana Welch, to talk about the revised version of her classic book, Love Factually. From the first time I read Love Factually, it has been my go-to, how-to-date, smarter, not harder book. And full disclosure, in general, I'm not a fan of how-to-date books because so many of them provide cliched advice. And I read so many of them and I found them so not helpful. But Love Factually is completely different because Dr. Welch grounds her books in science. Every recommendation she provides is research-based. Other authors share their opinions. Dr. Welch, however, shares the data. Here's a little bit more about Dr. Welch. Dr. Duana Welch is known for dating and relationship advice that relies on science rather than opinion to help men and women find and keep the love of their lives. A former professor in Florida, California, and Texas across 20 years, she has contributed to NPR, PBS, and Psychology Today. Her first book, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps from I Wish to I Do, has been published in five languages. Love Factually for Single Parents is the second book in the series, specifically geared for finding the right partner, not only for readers, but for their families. Dr. Welch works with clients all over the world. Connect with her at lovesciencemedia.com. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Dr. Welch, thank you as always for joining me on the podcast. You are a 
frequent flyer because you are such a fan favorite and one of my personal favorites as well. So thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much. I love being on your show. It's just a highlight of all my podcasting. I just love it. Well, I love how we connect on so many levels. And I wanted to kick off National Unmarried and Single Americans Week. I think it's a week that maybe not everyone knows about, but I certainly know about it. I came across it when I was still single myself. And I thought, well, yeah, we should have a week. There's some things we could discuss in a week's time regarding the single life. And when I thought about how I wanted to structure the week, I wanted to provide my audience with a lot of content. And of course, I wanted to kick off the week with an interview with you. So thank you so much for joining us today. We've got so many different topics we could cover, but I first want to highlight your recent, recently new, I mean, not hot off the presses at this point, but pretty new revised version of your book, which has become the go-to I know so many women in my community have purchased it, loved it, and underlined, highlighted, used it as their go-to for the science-based approach to dating. And that is where I think that you really have brought so much important content to the space in the midst of a lot of people saying, well, this worked for me, or this is the way I would do it. And coaches who have the best of intentions, we can honor all that, but when it comes down to it, you want to see the research. I want to see the research and so does my community. So thank you so much for revising the book. Tell us a little bit about that process and what they maybe should know if they perhaps read the first version. What do they need to know about the next version? Oh, thanks so much. That's so kind. And I'm really honored to be back on your show. So the first version came out in January of 2015 and now it is 2022. This version released on Valentine's Day, appropriately enough, of 2022. Science didn't stop happening just because I wrote the first ever science-based dating advice book. This is the second in the series. I'm viewing this as a series. I'll probably update it about every seven years because I read science just about every week. That's new. The, The great thing is if you have the first edition, nothing that science has come up with has disproven anything in the first edition, which makes, of course, that feels really good to me because I don't want to lead people astray, right? But I try to put things in my books that are really well-grounded. They're not necessarily, I don't put them in there because they're cutting edge. I put them in there because you can rely on it. However, in the interim, in the last seven years, there's been a lot that's been discovered, especially about online dating, on app dating. Things changed a lot in those seven years. And there is science on that. And it is really and truly relevant. So I urge people to get the latest edition of the book. The first edition had glasses on the front. This one has a magnifying glass with a little white heart in the middle of the magnifying glass. And it says on the bottom of it, revised and updated edition. So this is the one that you want because it will give you the best, latest information. And I just, I feel great about this book. Another thing I really love about it is it was actually someone who was listening to your show who reached out to me privately and basically said, I don't like how this is framed in your book. And I looked at it and I thought, you know what? I never liked how that was framed in my book either. (laughs) I need to really rethink that and really revisit the way I'm saying this. So the section on male versus female and male and female dating behavior has been substantively updated, both in tone and to some extent in content. 
the basic message is still men pursue and men have the right of pursuit. Women have the right of refusal, mm-hmm. right? Men have the prerogative of pursuit. Men have, women have the right of refusal. And of course, either gender can do these things, but we tend to be punished quite heavily if, if we're interested in men and we as women pursue them. It still just is the case that we're usually punished for that. So I frame that in terms of, and I got this as well from our discussions. We would talk all the time about high status dating. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I've, I talk about this on podcasts all the time, but I don't tend to frame it so much that way in my writing. So I really updated that as well. And what I'm, the feedback I'm getting is that people are feeling much more empowered by the new edition, which is what I want. I want you to go out there and as you're single, only if you're involuntarily single, of course, if you're voluntarily single, yay you. But if you don't want to be single anymore, I really want you to leave the experience of reading my book feeling like, wow, I've got a reference. I've got power. I have a way to actualize what it is that I want in my life. I used everything that's in the new book when I was on my own search just less than two years ago. Yeah. You walk the talk and I hear what you're saying that high status is a term that it's interesting that you got some pushback here and there. I'm not surprised because sometimes, especially women in our generation and younger, we were raised in an era of empowerment, which is wonderful. But I think sometimes we got a little twisted what that means to be empowered in our journey to love and our pursuit of love. And so women, I mean, and I was told that I have two older brothers. I remember my father saying to me, you're as smart as they are. You can do whatever they can do. And that's a great message. But the science shows us and your work demonstrates and elaborates in so many ways that if I envision myself and consider myself empowered, I might want to get after it and go pursue and chase and, and have the drive to, to pursue what's, what I want. That may work in my career. That may work in my education. And it may not, science-based now, work in love. And you and I have talked about this. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> it's not that it's because some of the, what the science shows us can feel a little archaic, frankly. And so that high status term, which I loved, but when I would share your work on that, I would also sometimes hear, well, what do you, I don't want to play games and I don't want to think I'm better than anybody. It's not about that. Yeah. So just elaborate a bit on that and that tension that can occur and, and the confusion therein as well. I think there are new, you brought up so many good points. I think there are numerous ways to see power. And empowerment. Just because I'm not pursuing a man does not mean I am powerless. And by the way, I coach men as well. And they will tell you they feel like women have all the power because we can say no to them. Here they are sticking their necks out for us. And if that hasn't happened for you yet, it will. It will happen. I've written a whole book on how to make that happen. But there's a lot of power in the right of refusal. And there's a lot of power in treating yourself the way that you want someone else to treat you and not letting anyone in your life who doesn't treat you that way and ejecting people who don't treat you that way. Nobody is going to care about your well-being more than you're willing to set boundaries around that well-being. It's not going to happen. So that's a big issue that I'm seeing right now, actually, time after time after time is And I don't know why it's happening so much lately. It seems like it's happened more recently than ever before, where people are approaching me and saying, I want to work with you. And by the way, there's something I've started doing. I just 
right off the bat, get, give anyone who approaches me a free 15 minute mini session, just to see if we should even work together at all, to see if I feel like I can meet their needs to see if they feel the same way. And these, these, especially women, but also sometimes men come to me and they basically say, I'm in this really bad situation, but I feel like it's the best I can do, or we'll be working on their list. We've talked about the list a couple of times on your show and I'll be helping them with their standards for a partner. And they'll say, I don't believe anyone like this exists. It's not just, they don't believe that they can have it. They don't believe that another person in the world is out there like this. And I'll say, but I'm basically describing you. You exist. We're not so unique that there's not a partner out there for us. And then they'll say, well, maybe so, but they're probably on another continent or they were born in another time. No, the, our type of person is there. But I'll tell you the biggest mistake I see singles making other than stopping themselves from a sincere pursuit from the get-go. Because if you don't believe this can happen, if you really don't believe it, then you're going to act in line with those beliefs. So, so people who really don't believe that anyone is out there like this, they don't do the things. The things I ask people to do are new and different and challenging. And if you really don't believe it's going to be worth it, you, you probably aren't going to stick with it. So one of the things I help people to do, I don't ask them to change how they feel. Ask them to change their actions, borrow my faith, and watch the results roll in. And then they'll believe it. Just take the action first if you have to. If that's the way you need to go about it, science shows that taking the action will get you there. But the other thing is you can't get the right one if you're currently with the wrong one. I see a lot of people coming to me recently who have a very wrong person for them. Yeah, the person has a lot of good qualities. But at the end of the day, this person is never going to make the prospective client or my client happy. They don't have the goods. They're not kind or respectful as a default. They don't share enough of the same values. These are deal breakers. You have to have similar values. You have to have kindness and respect as a default, not as the occasional. I'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, well, there was that time that they really were kind to me. And I'll say, no, no, no. I want to flip that. I want you to say there was that one time when they weren't. The rest of it should be, it should be an assumption that even if they're tired and even if they're stressed, that they make a big effort to be kind and respectful to you. And if it doesn't happen, they see that they didn't do it and they apologize and they live differently going forward. That's what we're after. And those people exist and they exist in abundance. But while you are dating the person who doesn't live up to that, someone else is snatching up the person. You said that, that piece about hey, you're just describing someone who, in the, in the list, you're describing someone who's quite similar to you. And I remember, I have no idea how I kind of stumbled upon this realization, but it was at one point in my many years single. And it was exactly that, Dr. Welch. It was, well, wait a minute. I'm not asking for anything more than I'm willing to give. I'm not asking for a person who has anything more to bring to the table than I'm bringing to the table. And I had this little notion in my head, like, well, I exist. So he exists. Like he's out there, like I'm out here. And our paths haven't crossed for who knows many reasons. He, in my case, he was married to someone else at the time and, and had to raise his kids before he felt like it was time to make a move because the marriage obviously wasn't working. So there are a lot of other factors at work, but that belief that you're speaking to where people can oftentimes carry around such a disempowering and limiting belief that, well, I'm out here, but I, 
I put down on paper what I'm looking for. And I just don't firmly believe that that person can exist. And you put it this way when we were speaking just for a moment before we hopped on, you said people get the love they think they deserve. And that's sometimes I think some of those limiting beliefs can be pretty entrenched and sometimes maybe a little bit beneath the surface of our consciousness. And we don't really understand that we're operating and behaving on the dating scene in a way because we don't really believe we deserve that love. So can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. I'm glad you emphasized the words they think because you do deserve love. People have inherent worth and dignity. We deserve love. We deserve kindness and respect. And at the same time, if, if we have unexamined, unchallenged beliefs, then they're going to run the show. If we want our, what some therapists would call self-led energy, our adult energy to run things, then we will need to begin listening closely to these parts of ourselves usually formed in childhood that feel unworthy and unheard. We will need to listen to them, acknowledge what they are saying, and help them find something else to do with their time. And I'm speaking now, I'm not a therapist, but of course, there's not a law in the land that prevents my learning a lot about it. Mm -hmm. And I try to learn as much as I can about research-based therapies, where we know that these work. And by the way, I have a therapist and I've done a lot of this in my own journey. So I've begun spending a little more time than I used to with clients, not just on changing their behavior, but helping them make contact with these parts of themselves that feel unworthy. Mm -hmm. I do try to get my clients to work with a therapist conjointly with me. Mm And I attempt to support that work by just asking my clients what they're doing, helping them stay on top of their homework. But in a nutshell version of this is most of us who don't feel secure in our our deserving love or secure in our ability to stay with being loved, either way we fear being abandoned or smothered, one of the two. Sometimes both. Some people are afraid of both of these things. If you resonated when I said that, it's very likely there are parts of you, sometimes they happen when you were very small, and sometimes they happen when you were in your teens, and sometimes they happen more recently, but it's very likely there are parts of you that have been injured by other people's behavior. And these parts of you, many of us do not want to listen. The reason we don't want to listen is we feel like we're going to fall apart. We are just absolutely going to fall apart and be ineffective at living and unable to function if we listen to them. And what's really amazing is the opposite is true. There are now studies that show that speaking to injured parts of ourselves in the third person as if they were another person or in the second person saying, I want to hear what you have to say as if it's not a part of me, it's a different person. And then just listening to everything it wants you to know without interrupting, without saying you're wrong, without saying but, but, but just listening. I don't know why. Science is not always great at telling us why. It's excellent at telling us what. I don't know why, but I can tell you what. What happens next is, for most people, you feel like this big weight has been lifted. And these parts of you sometimes haven't been heard for decades. Mm -hmm. They're like little children in the basement. Please hear me. Please listen to me. Please love me. 
And because you're not listening to them, they look for somebody else who will. And who usually presents as if they're going to solve all your problems right away? The exact person who is not going to solve all your problems. And I see this a lot in my practice. I see that people are with someone already. I, I hear a lot. I don't just help people get into healthy relationships. I help them exit unhealthy relationships and I help them heal relationships that could be healed. All of it. I tend to focus on dating coaching in my podcast appearances, but I do the whole thing and I do divorce coaching. And what I find so often is as soon as people start really letting these hurt parts of themselves have a voice and start saying, really saying out loud to these parts. I and by I know this sounds woo-woo and I'm a very non-woo-woo person. Mm-hmm. So understand when I say this, I was skeptical <laughs> with a capital skeptical. For whatever reason, we know from experiments, just having people talk to parts of themselves as if they were another person has this relieving impact. And then you can ask that part. You can say, well, what's the job that you feel like you've been doing for me? And a lot of times that job is, I've been trying to protect you. And you know, five-year-olds aren't really very good at protecting you. So I know in my case, I asked one of my little basement kids, what would you rather be doing? I really appreciate, and by the way, you have to thank them. Thank you so much for trying to protect me. When, when we were five, this was all we had. We didn't have a choice. But you know, now I'm 53 and could you, could you maybe let, I've got a wiser, older part of myself that's a parent now. And I could, by the way, even if you're not a parent, you're, you're, you've got energy that's parental. And would you, would you let me take care of you? Would you like to do another job? And often what people report is, oh my gosh, that's such a relief. That part of me felt so relieved. And I know my little young child said, you know what I'd really like to be doing? I'd like to go to the beach and play with my friends. So you're like, go ahead. <laughs> you're trying to free up that, yeah. that energy within you to just go and be playful and, and not yeah. be so protective as you put it. And this is something else I've changed in the new edition. I've incorporated more of this into the new edition because again, there's, I know more stuff, right? I I freely admit I do not know everything. I'm really relieved that I hadn't led anybody astray in the first edition, but I don't know everything. I'm learning right along with you. I hope I'm many steps ahead, Mm -hmm. but I'm still learning. I'm never going to stop. And so one of the things that I learned from all this is when you listen, my first edition, I talk about notice and redirect. And notice and redirect is a very simple form of this, noticing when you're having an uncomfortable thought or feeling and redirecting it to align with the reality of what's happening. And maybe if the uncomfortable thought or feeling is my partner doesn't love me, if your partner really doesn't love you, I'm not saying to deny that. But a lot of times when we feel that way, it's a tender part of us that is feeling scared. And that might not be anything to do with our current reality. So this takes it a step further, and I do go into it more in this, this new book, and I have references, of course, that you can look at that talk about, here's where you can learn more about this, because there are books that help people do this for themselves. If you 
you can't afford the therapy, if you can't find somebody in your area who does this kind of therapy, uh, you know, you, you've got the resources to do this. It's not rocket surgery, as I like to say. <laughs> well, it reminds me of ACT. And as you've been kind of looking into these therapeutic modalities, you may have come across ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And I've had the founder of ACT, Dr. Stephen C. Hayes, on the program twice. It's a third generation cognitive therapy, which the cognitive realm tends to be pretty committed to research. So there we can get woo woo over here a bit, but it's always grounded in the research. And he does, he has you create this defusion. He talks about defusing from our thoughts and feelings to get that objectivity that the third person, as you mentioned, allows us to get on a cognitive level. And it really helps us create just a bit of distance where we can take control and and become empowered move through that emotion, move through that thought in a way that that allows us to, as you put it, I I wrote it down, the self-led energy, that adult energy that maybe doesn't feel empowered in the moment, but really is. Because if we let that five-year-old overwhelm us in that moment, even though the five-year-old has the best intentions to protect us, it can cause us to feel that infantile chaos or depending on our family of origin, whatever we were feeling, helpless. And it it really is a way to just kind of get us back into that adult functioning and make sure that that's in charge, so to speak. And it's it's amazing. And I know that they're doing some of the neurological research to see what that third person, and I don't know, again, like you said, science doesn't know everything. And certainly we can see what's happening and not necessarily know the interpretation or know the mechanism by which it's happening, but we're definitely moving in that direction. So thank you for that because it really does underscore some, my audience would be very familiar with ACT and that process. And to know, again, from what you've seen that the, it there is a not only your personal experience, but it's also grounded in research to know that this is effective. And they are small little shifts that we can integrate into our daily way of being. We don't have, we can, sometimes it seems overwhelming. How can I get myself? How can I stop letting my five-year-old run this show when I know that that's not serving me right now in my adult life? There are small shifts that we can practice on the regular and they become more and more habitual. And pretty soon they're our default mode and they really do serve us. Yeah, I, I've had some real aha moments reading about this research and of course experiencing it myself. I try out everything that I ask my clients to do. And one of my aha moments is I'm a longtime anxious attacher. Mm-hmm. And anxious attachers, especially, we're the ones who tend to feel fear of being abandoned. And we tend to what's called over-identify with our emotions, which means that emotions feel like not just something we experience, but something that we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for, for those of us who are, and of course, avoidant attachers, those who fear being smothered, they also have anxiety. It's just about a different thing. So if you feel, if dating and partnering don't feel safe to you, if they don't feel safe to you, then this is a tool that can really help you a lot is when you feel unsafe, first of all, just start to notice that lack of feeling of safety. And then when you can take a few moments, could be five minutes here and there to ask to just take three or four deep breaths in and out and ask yourself, is there any part that would like to come forward and and say something about your fear and just let it talk. And even if that's the only part of the the step you do for some reason, that's really liberating. But of course there are other things you can do in addition. It's just, it's kind of amazing really. So that, that noticing 
and listening helps you to redirect. It helps you to the self-led energy. And I didn't realize that's what I was talking about in the first edition. Mm -hmm. Really talking about is getting distance between feeling like your emotions are you and feeling like your emotions are something that you feel. Getting that space that you just talked about. When you have that space, it gives you the ability to make a decision that's in your best interest, in the best interest of your totality, not just your adult self, but every part of you that has ever existed. We were different people when we were five. We were different when we were 15. We were different at 30. Things are changing all the time. Those experiences are all part of us. And one of the helpful things I learned is we don't have to get rid of or deny any of that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's actually a big mistake that I know I made. And I think probably a lot of people make is thinking, oh, I just need to get rid of that. The old joke, what I do when I feel something uncomfortable is I just push it way, way way, way deep and hope it'll go away. <laughs> of course, that's it's my motive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think there are whole parts of the country where that's kind of the MO. And <laughs> so finding out, oh, I don't have to do that. Those parts mm-hmm. could actually feel hurt and then they can just go play on the beach or whatever it is they want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my little parts decided, you know what I want to do? I want to help you really succeed in business. And then my business got way better. So weird. <laughs> You're like, well, thanks for coming out. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me, what you just said reminds me of one of the tiny little techniques, which I think it's great to share these small little, they're just small little techniques in the sense I say small because they're easy. I mean, but they can be profound. And one that Dr. Hayes talks about is when you have a thought, have that thought in your head go, that's interesting. I'm having the thought that I don't deserve love or I'm, I'm not lovable. Instead of that fusion, like you said, of feel, I feel unlovable, meaning I am unlovable. Well, no, the cognitive strategies will ask us to challenge that a bit. Or if challenging, I'm an REBT fan, so I like to get in there and duke it out. That's irrational. <laughs> That's you know, Albert Ellis. And then the third generation with Dr. Hayes's work, we're a little bit gentler with ourselves. We get a little bit more Zen and we go, That's interesting that I'm having the thought that I'm unlovable. Mm. And I, the over identification with emotions, if you've ever been depressed, not you, but anyone listening, or you've even known somebody depressed, chances are, if they're a non-secure attacher, chances are they don't just feel depressed. They feel, they don't just feel bad. They feel like they are bad. Like in their totality, they're a bad person. Again, that identification that I am how I feel a big part of getting the love that we really deserve, not the love we think we deserve. A big part of getting the love that we really deserve is breaking that identification with the emotion, letting the emotion be like a wave that rolls over you. You're not the emotion. You're in the ocean, but you are you. And so that's a big thing that's different in the new edition. I've done a little bit more with that. And as far as you talked about empowerment and, and people saying to you, well, that feels the, the part about gender, that feels really manipulative, that feels like game playing. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to understand something that, that's also new in my edition. Look, I actually don't recommend any game playing at all. I feel like my first edition read like I did. This one. But I want to interrupt you just for a moment because I read it and I understand how someone could read it that way, but I did not see it that way. So I want to just acknowledge that there were some of us, maybe that was my style because I was just more of a 
let him pursue because that felt safe. That felt empowering to me because then I didn't have to guess. I didn't have to guess whether he was into me because I was I wasn't calling him. I was letting him call me. So I just I not to interrupt you, but I just did want to say I understood your intention from the beginning. Oh, thank you. And I think most people did, but I got a fair share of hate mail about this. And I've got to say, I always was uncomfortable with it. I knew that the science was what it was and that it is what it is all over the world and that we're trying to be egalitarian and everything that a man can do in courtship, a woman can do in courtship, and you can, but there still is a penalty. And one of the biggest penalties is that most women don't, a lot of us really, we just, we want to feel safe doing this, but we just don't. And another penalty is that a lot of times he leaves for someone who seems to have better self-esteem, i.e. the woman who feels high status because she can afford to take care of herself in her own life and he can pursue her or not. I don't think we've talked about this on show before, but I just like to help people feel a little bit better about the whole gamey issue. Mm -hmm. I am now engaged, but I'm about to get married. And I did exactly this with my soon-to-be husband. I explained to him what I was doing and why. I told him on the first phone call, I'm really enjoying talking to you. I really like you a lot as far as I know you. It might have been the second phone call, but I mean, it was soon. We had not met yet and we weren't going to meet for a couple more weeks. And we had talked extensively and just in these conversations and I knocked a bunch of deal breakers out of the way. I just asked him, I said, I like you. And in other words, a lot of people have thought hard to get is, oh, don't admit you like him. Yes. I've all, and I've always said this in my first edition and this one and any books I've written, which is, I've got. I think seven short books and two full-length books. And this, the first book has now two editions. So I guess that's eight. That's no 10. Anyway, can't count, but that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> so I, I said, I know that a lot of people get sexually involved right away. And that doesn't feel right to me. And we can go into why. But I want to let you know that I actually don't get fully sexual until... The person that I'm with loves me and I love him and he's asked me to be exclusive and I want to. And I even take it a step further and everybody's got to get an STI test in my world. So I'm, I, and I said, I understand if that's not how you're living. I'm not saying you have to. Until we're exclusive, obviously we're not exclusive. I don't know what you're doing in your spare time, but I won't be getting fully sexually involved with anyone until we've brooked those hurdles because it doesn't work for me. And as we got to know each other better, I actually, because when people say, oh, Dr. Welch, I can't go online or Dwayne, I can't go online. I, people might recognize me. Look, the moment somebody has my first name, they can find me. I'm the first Dwayna that comes up in the entire world. And so <laughs> it, mm -hmm. before our first phone call, everybody would have my name. And so he wrote to me and said, wow, looks like a thing or two about having a healthy relationship. And some people were intimidated by it. I was looking mm. for the person who wasn't intimidated, right. who was excited, which he totally was. And which shows he was very confident, which is something I wanted and still want and have. So his response to that was, well, yeah, that makes sense. But later on, I told him, I'm really attracted to you, but I don't want to get in the way of what our biology helps us to do when we fall in love. I told him, your dopamine levels are rising and I want them to keep rising. I want both of us to be madly in love with each other. Notice this isn't coy. 
if I tell you at dinner how digestion works, your stomach does the exact same stuff. <laughs> the same is true with mating psychology. It's really an implicit or unconscious thing. So when you become aware of it, and even if you tell somebody about it, it still does what it does. So I've become much more forthright about that since the first edition. I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me earlier in my career, but I keep becoming better at what I do because I keep learning more. Well, and it, it, like you said, it's the opposite of coy. You're being very just forthcoming with here's who I am and, and not trying to manipulate. There's no, and so we'll see what happens and maybe you'll tap this. I mean, none of this. This is not, it's the exact opposite. You're just being, this is me. And then you see how the person responds. And then you saw that he was not intimidated. He was intrigued and in fact, respected you. And you weren't even trying to get him to respect you. You're just like, this is who I am. Complete honesty, no games. And yet it still positioned you it put you in that high status, which I don't know what term you're using now, but but it still put you in that category because it was genuine to who you are. Yeah, I'm sorry to have interrupted. I get so excited sometimes about this because it's so it's a game changer. You can leave the games behind. You don't need them. When you are operating from a place of acting as if you have high self-regard and high status. You don't even have to believe it yet. Just act as if when you operate from that place, you don't even want to chase the guys anymore. That was really interesting this time around. I didn't even want to. And I've seen that shift in a bunch of my clients too, where they go from, why didn't he call? Why isn't he asking me to dinner? Why didn't he confirm plans to, oh, look at you. Thank you for telling me you're wrong for me. Next. (laughs) just not taking it personally. Mm -hmm. You know, I even put in my profile, because I always write profiles about the other person, not about my client or myself. And I even put in there, he's the kind of person. And by the way, I also use this psychology about the third person. I didn't say you, I said he. I felt like it would give, I don't know if I'm right. I am operating on a hypothesis that that works for everyone. And so I wrote about my love, future love in the third person. I said, he is the kind of guy who enjoys calling a girl and asking her out on a date. And she really appreciates that and him. I laid it out there. If you're not that guy, don't answer my ad. But I said it in a super friendly way. And then I didn't have to wonder, oh, does he just not get it? It's right there, right there in the ad. So yeah, super, super transparent. I give a lot more scripts in the new edition too. Your scripts are amazing. I refer people to them all the time. It just helps to have that clarity of presentation, to have a script that they can tweak with using their own verbiage. But I think, again, people get in their head and they'll like, what would I say? You say the truth. You say with respect for yourself and the other person what the situation is. And so those scripts are so helpful. What are some of the different scripts that you've added? Well, one of them I just gave you, which is how to talk about any difficult situation and how to do it really fast. Over the many years, almost 25 years now that I've been coaching clients all over the world, one of the things that I see a lot is 
And of course, I got a lot more clients after my books came out. And the more experience I have as a coach, the better a coach I am. And the more I see what, okay, what are the core issues that people are dealing with? And one of them is, how do I have the confidence to set my boundaries and find out about my must-haves right away? Folks, there is no sense in getting in deep with someone where it's unworkable. But a lot of people say to themselves, oh, I really like you. So, and I don't really believe I deserve everything that I want. So I'm going to settle for liking you in the hopes that if I just go, la, 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 I'm not really looking at this or hearing this. <laughs> if I just do that long enough, you'll actually just magically be the right person. And for some people that does happen. I'm not going to say it never happens, but it's not the way to bet. And especially if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you aren't 20. You've got a history. And it's not a, it's, it's got a lot of pain in it. That's why people listen to things like this. I know I've been through a lot. I got my heart so badly broken that I've had open heart surgery this. So I hear that you are in pain. And if you don't want to do it again, it is necessary for you to have a way to say to people, here's what I need. Here's how I'm living. If you don't live that same way or need those same things, that's okay. But it's not going to work for us. So here is the script to recap. I kind of used it earlier when I gave you the example of talking about sexuality. Here's another example and see if you can spot the commonalities. I totally get that you did not memorize, you out there in listener land, did not memorize the first time I said something about my boundaries. But I want you to listen again and see if you can hear some commonalities and then I'll lay it out for you. So when Carrie my fiance and I first spoke. The very first call, I said, I really, I really like you. I'm enjoying getting to know you. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to get in deep with someone where we're just so different that it can't work out. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to like you even more <laughs> if it can't work out. So I can work anywhere in the world. All my business has always been virtual, almost all anyway. I mean, I do have clients sometimes in the city I live in, but otherwise virtual. And so I could move anywhere, but I don't want to. I'm in this community. I'm really immersed in it. I love it. I chose it. And I want to be here as far as I can tell for the rest of my life. So not saying you and I are going to work out. I don't know. But would you, for the right relationship, be willing to relocate? And he said, yeah, I'm not all that attached to the place that I'm living right now. I would. Now, I got to say that wasn't a total deal breaker. As wonderful as he is, I would have moved if I really, really needed to. But I wanted to know where he stood on that. Mm -hmm. Other things actually were deal breakers. There was one guy where I asked him, oh, this guy looked like I was grabbing the brass ring here. In my town, I don't live in a big place. In my town, PhD, owns his own business kind of respectful, cute. I mean, I'm like, okay, yes, sign me up. But then I noticed that he marked down some different stuff politically for me. And I asked him about that and our views were just too different. And I asked him on the first phone call. And this guy, he was really disappointed because he had actually read two thirds of my book before he called and he called four <laughs> hours after we first got connected online. I mean, he was really excited. And I hope that he has found the right person for him. Mm -hmm. 
I trust he has. I'm not saying he's a bad person that we had these discrepancies, but I know what works for me. And that's a big part of this. Know what works for you. A lot of what I work on with clients initially is that. Some of them have been so accustomed to, I'll take anyone who treats me reasonably well, that they have seeded their own emotions and their own desires to the other person. I'll want what you want. I'll feel what you want me to feel, which is really common in anxious attachers. I have compassion for that because I've spent a lot of my life as an anxious attacher. So figuring out what you have to have and then expressing it. The commonalities between what I just said and what I said earlier about the boundaries around sexuality are these. You start by saying that you like the person. Look, if you don't like them, there's no real point having this discussion. Like, <laughs> Or I should put it this way, if you actively dislike them. If you think, oh, I kind of like him, I want to see if that could grow. Mm -hmm. If you dislike their personality, that's a good enough reason to not still talk to them. But if you feel like, I like you well enough that I would be willing to talk to you again. In other words, don't look for, oh, I'm all a flutter. That's not realistic to look for that. And ask yourself, when I felt that way in the past, how did it work out? My guess is it crashed and burned. Because if you have a history of attaching to people very quickly, you probably have an anxious or avoidant attachment. You probably have a lot of relationships that get intense for about 60 days and then fizzle. Maybe the relationship continues, but you're always trying to get back to that first magical 60 days. Okay. Where I'm going with all this is if you feel like you could like them, you need to start out by saying, I feel like I could like you, or I think I, I, I like you as a person. Say it that way. I like you as a person. I like who I'm experiencing here. But I don't want to like you a whole lot more if we have some deal breaking differences. So I'd like to know your views on X. You don't have to lead the witness. Sometimes I did, like with the sexuality thing or the, the where I want to live thing. But you can just say, as I said to that one guy, I noticed you said this about your politics. I am more like this about mine. What are some areas where you think we could have a big difference? Notice I didn't ask. Notice what are some things where we could be similar. We're not going to wind up fighting about the similarities. I want to know about the differences. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want you to look at. Look for the deal breakers. Do it pleasantly. Mm -hmm. At no point did I think, oh, you're a bad person about that guy. Notice that I'm glowing about him. I think he's a great guy. He's not my guy. That's a big difference. Mm -hmm. If you nurture this idea that I exist, therefore someone like me exists, in fact, a lot of people like me exist. Otherwise, people would, only a few people would ever find someone they were happy with. Lots and lots of people are happy. About two-thirds of people who've gotten married since the year 2000 are staying married for a lifetime. That's what it's looking. It's pretty darn high. And people don't tend to stay married in developed countries. They don't tend to stay married when they're miserable. They don't tend to do that. Mm -hmm. It's actually one reason gray divorce, divorce over the age of 50 has become so much more common is when two people have enough money to not stay together if they don't want to, they don't necessarily do it. So you can assume that people staying married are usually really happy. In other words, allow yourself to believe that happiness is in the cards for you 
and understand the cost of that, the price of that is saying no to all the people who are not right for you and to do it as painlessly as possible. Do it quickly. People tell me all the time how lucky I am to be with Carrie and I am. I'm so lucky to be with him. And I will say the past me would have gone with this other guy because this other guy looked like the guy and I met him before I met Carrie. Carrie would be with somebody else because I wouldn't have stayed online. I wouldn't have, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have connected with him. Mm-hmm. I would have been too busy having what I call a mini marriage with the wrong guy. Right. And eventually those differences in values, and again, doesn't make anyone a bad person, but just cr- creates more opportunity for frustrations and, and arguments. And to weed that out respectfully and early is so wise. And I think it it does cause people a lot of, they just get stressed out thinking about that. I don't know if it's the part that feels like it's love should be magical and emotional and that having a checklist feels too sterile or take, but you, you won't have that magical emotional feeling for too long if you are not aligned on some core values. And that's of course, very much research-based as well. So providing a script for how do we just, I don't want to say fast track, but how do we expedite the process of figuring out if we're even decently compatible and then continue the dating process to see if it is a person with whom you do want to share your life with. And I think that's so wise to have that, especially like you said, if people are listening to this podcast, they probably aren't 22 and they probably have been through a lot and goodness knows they felt unsafe dating. And this is a way to bring back that empowered approach and also that safety element to the dating process. Yeah, absolutely. I want people to we we focus so much on safe sex. I want us to focus on emotionally safe mm-hmm. relationships and sex. I I want I want the sex that you have with this person to be incendiary, the best of your life. I want you to look at this person and believe with every fiber of your being that there's nobody better out there for you. And I want you to understand if you feel that way the moment you meet them, it's not them usually. That's an old script that's playing out. Most people who have a history of crash and burn, crash and burn, crash and burn, have a history of reenacting old dramas and old traumas is probably a better way of putting it there. They are hooking into trying to solve an old emotional wound, trying to heal an old emotional wound with someone who presents the same issues. And they're not conscious that they're doing that, but, but pretty clear that that's what's going on mm-hmm. and uh, from research. And so, What I would say to that is, I want to give an example because examples, people don't think in statistics, we think in stories. So I want to give you a story from one of my clients who gave permission to share it. She started seeing someone, she wrote me a letter about how he was just too small. He wasn't tall enough. She just wanted to be his friend. And I said, you know what the standards are? If you're not physically repulsed, if there are no deal breakers, and if you like him, you have to go out again, period. I've taught you how to screen for deal breakers. You're not finding any. And by the way, lack of instant chemistry is not a deal breaker. Chemistry does have to be there. Eventually, I want you to date other people until you figure out whether it is. I'm not saying cut off all your options for Mr. I feel kind of eh about you. Mm-hmm. But I am saying you got to go out again. 
And she said, I don't know, I've just felt so much passion in the past right away for some people. And I said, all of those people cheated on you. Mm. All of them. The people who feel right to you aren't right for you. Give it a little time. I'm not going to ask you to cut off your options to date other people for this guy. I'm not going to ask you to date this guy if it turns out he's not the right guy. I am going to ask you to hang in there long enough to make sure that the feeling can't grow. I want you to nurture. Borrow my faith. I know you don't have it yet yourself. Borrow my faith that your intuition will speak very clearly about whether you like this person or not, about whether it's growing or not. When I first met Carrie, I thought he was super cute, but I didn't want to kiss him. I didn't, I didn't know if he was my person. I did, and we had talked for over 80 hours at that point, maybe even 100. I knew I liked him. Many women have evolved. I use the term, I'm using evolutionary terms. I don't mean that we change within ourselves. I mean, our ancestral mothers have passed down a genetic and lineage to us that says men can be dangerous. Most of them aren't, but some of them are. We are both mates and prey. That's the reality. The number one thing that kills women all over the world between the ages of 15 and 55 is a jealous male jealous male partner. So men can be dangerous. That was true for our ancestral mothers and it's true for us. And therefore we need to reserve a little judgment instead of getting completely swept up in the moment. It used to be that people grew up in groups of about 120 and that love took actually quite a while to develop. People would know each other for a long time before they realized, hey, you're my person. And I bet you, most of you have known someone where that happened. You might've even had it happen in the past where you thought somebody was not even good looking. And then all of a sudden, wow, do I love you because you're beautiful or are you beautiful because I love you? Mm -hmm. And I had that experience in my twenties. I fell in love with someone who I remember the first time I saw him four years earlier thinking, wow, you're an odd looking duck. <laughs> and then I fell in love with him and I couldn't think of anybody more beautiful in the world give yourself a chance. What happened with this client, she allowed me to publish her letters, some of her letters in my book, Love Factually for Single Parents. And within a span of six weeks, she went from saying, I don't know, I just don't feel butterflies to I've never felt butterflies like this before. She is one of my most ardent supporters. She tells people all the time that they need to hire me. She gives people copies of my book constantly. She has a child who would not exist had we not worked together. Those are her words, not mine. And she's blissfully happy with this man who she thought was too small, who treats her like gold. Notice that I am not advocating the I'm a queen, men are scum mentality here. Right. I want you to be treated like you are precious beyond measure by someone who you want to treat like that too. That is, yeah, that's the goal. And that's the dream. And and what your work does is helps people who feel like that is a dream and maybe it will only be a dream. And you're here to say, no, we've got science backed steps we can take. We can do this. We can break it down into measurable and attainable steps. So I want to thank you so much for sharing what you do with the world. How can 
listeners learn more about what you're doing, perhaps hire you as their coach and to check out your book, the latest version. Absolutely. Well, there are so many ways. You can just Google my name, Duana Welch, or D-U-A-N-A is my first name, or you can go to lovesciencemedia.com and you can see the Get Coaching tab. You can see all these articles I've written. You can see all the podcasts I've been on. Lots and lots of free stuff for you there. If you click the tab to see my books, you can get free chapters. So lots of lots of free goodies and there's a free 15-minute mini session if you think you'd like to work together. I would love to hear from you. So yeah, I'd probably suggest lovesciencemedia.com as your first go-to, but you just Google my name. You'll see lots and lots of stuff about me. Thank you so much as always, Dr. Welch. I really appreciate you, your time today. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Karen. I really appreciate you and all the people who listen to you. They're just great. I hear from so many and I really love it. The love and life hack for this week is date smarter with science. Dating doesn't have to be so confusing. We can look to the research to help us make empowered decisions throughout the dating process. Thanks so very much for joining us today. Level up your dating game by taking advantage of Dr. Welch's offer of a free 15-minute mini session. As Dr. Welch noted, she recently took her own advice and met her fiancé on a dating app in a matter of weeks. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril.